nine out of ten people who join a church, the first time they ever attend the church they join, they attended because somebody invited them. Now, all of us who, who are followers of Jesus Christ know that we're supposed to invite people to church, tell people about Jesus. Maybe all of us have done that a little bit. But the truth is, most of us struggle to do that. We're intimidated. We're afraid. There's a lot of different things, right, that keep us from inviting people to church, that keep us from sharing our testimony with people, that keep us from sharing the gospel with people. And we feel guilty about it. We know we should, but we don't, not consistently anyway. And I believe one of the biggest reasons we struggle so much with obeying Jesus' teaching to invite people to church, to witness to people about Jesus, one of the biggest reasons we struggle with that is we have some misconceptions. We have some wrong thinking. Just like most of you, when that video started, you probably didn't think it was the old lady on the porch playing the music. When it comes to this subject of evangelism, we have a lot of misconceptions. And, and those misconceptions cause us to think things, and a lot of what we think is wrong. And it hinders us from inviting people to church. It hinders us from witnessing. So the sermon series I'm starting today called Jesus Talks, Evangelism, is going to address some of those misconceptions. And, and let me just tell you, from time to time, we'll pull back that title, Jesus Talks, and we'll look at a different subject. But for the next three weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus said about evangelism. And here's how we got to this. Some time ago, I read the four Gospels over and over, looking specifically for anything and everything Jesus said about this subject of evangelism, of witnessing. And I made notes. And, and I could teach for months on what Jesus said about evangelism, but we're going we're gonna to look at three key experiences, three important experiences in the life of Jesus that can help us correct some of our thinking, misconceptions about evangelism, and hopefully out of that become more emboldened, more courageous, more excited about doing what we know we're supposed to be doing. Now, the story in Jesus' life I want to teach from today it's found in John 4, and before we get to what Jesus actually said to his actual teaching, let me just give you some background to it. Jesus and his disciples are on their way uh, to Galilee, which is in a northerly direction. To get there, they have to go through a region called Samaria. Now, Samaria was inhabited by, well, Samaritans, like America has Americans. The problem was there was racial prejudice and racial hostility between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And some Jews felt that so strongly traveling north to Galilee, they would go out of their way and skirt that region, that country. That's how much they disliked Samaritans. Now remember, Jesus is a Jew. His disciples are Jews. But they're traveling through Samaria and they, they, they stop at a well. It's called Jacob's Well. It's found in the Old Testament as well. And Jesus is tired and he's hungry from their traveling. And so he sits on the ground and he's resting while the disciples go to a nearby village to get some food. While the disciples are gone and Jesus is resting by that well, a woman from Samaria comes to the well to draw water. And she and Jesus begin a conversation. They talk about water and then he 
transitions to a discussion of living water and eternal life, that, that he can give her a different kind of water and he can give her eternal life. She'll never be thirsty spiritually again. They talk about her background. It gets really personal. Jesus asks her where her husband is, and she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're telling the truth because you've had five husbands. And right now you're shacking up with a guy you're not married to. Now, that's not his translation. That's how we'd say it today. You're living with somebody. You're not married to him. You've had five husbands, and now you're living with a guy out of marriage. They talk about worship. We're talking about all these spiritual things. And at one point in the conversation, she looks at Jesus and says that, you know, me and my people, we're looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. We know a Messiah is supposed to come, and he'll tell us everything. And Jesus looked at this woman and he said, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And this woman from Samaria at the well becomes a believer. And as the story goes on, her life is radically changed. What well, is about this time, the disciples show up with food. And when they show up with food, the woman leaves and goes into the village and starts telling everybody there what had happened to her and telling everybody about this Jesus she had met. Now, the disciples, they're all confused. Why is Jesus talking to this woman? Because in that culture, a man would not talk to a woman in public if she was not accompanied by a member of her family, just like it is in some of the Muslim countries today. And so they're really befuddled that Jesus is talking to this, this woman alone, and furthermore, she's a Samaritan. So they're just, they don't get it. And so they take out the food and they start shoving it in Jesus' face, so to speak, trying to do everything they can to get him to eat. And it's at this moment that Jesus begins teaching. And in John chapter 4, I want us to look briefly at what he said in verses 32 and following because here's the thing. A lot of times when you and I think of this subject, evangelism, inviting people to church, telling people about Jesus, we focus on how it benefits the person we're talking to. And it does benefit them, and we'll see that in a minute. But we don't understand how much inviting people to church and how much being a witness and doing evangelism, we don't understand how much it benefits us as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus begins teaching them when they're trying to present him food. Now, remember, he sent them to get food because he was hungry and he was tired. So they come back with food, and, and you pick the story up. In uh, verse 31, they're, they're urging him to eat. But verse 32, Jesus said to them, I have food. Now notice this. I have food to eat that you don't know about. Verse 33, the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? What's he talking about? Where did he get food to eat? That's why we went to get food. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his will. Do you know what Jesus is saying? That even when he was physically hungry and physically fatigued, he found spiritual energy and vitality by obeying God, by telling people about God's love. That he could be at a weak moment physically, but when he began helping someone else know there's a God who loves them, he became 
energized. And I want to say to, to us, I want to say to you right now that one of the reasons so many are, are spiritually weak and feel so much spiritual lethargy in their lives is because they never talk to anybody about Jesus Christ. Never invite anybody to church. And brothers and sisters, what you've got to understand is when you are always quiet and you never talk to people about Christ and you never invite people to church, you are starving yourself to death spiritually. If Jesus found spiritual food, spiritual energy, spiritual renewal, spiritual vitality, even when he was physically tired and hungry by letting people know there's a God who loves them, why do you and I think the same thing will not happen in our lives? As followers of Jesus Christ, being obedient to let people know there's a God who cares energizes us and and you can come to church every Sunday you can go to Sunday school every Sunday you can read your Bible every day you can pray all the time but if you never talk to people about Christ and you never invite people to church you are not nearly as spiritually strong as you might think you are spiritual energy comes from obeying God's command to let people know there's a God who cares And so the disciples are focused on physical food. And Jesus says, you don't get it. I could be hungry and tired, but that's okay. Because, man, I get energized when I see a life changed. I become energized when I see someone responding to God's love. And the truth is, every one of us who love Jesus will become energized as well when we're part of something like that. And it doesn't matter what else we do. We'll never have the energy that God wants us to have if we never talk to anybody about Christ. We never invite anybody to church. It robs us of spiritual energy. And so Jesus continues teaching them in verses 35 and following. Let's let's read it together, starting at verse 35. He says, do you not say, he said, this is what you say all the time. There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. You plant tomatoes, you plant a garden, you plant flowers, they grow. Later, the tomatoes are ripe, the fruit comes in, the green beans are ready, the flowers are blooming. That's what he's talking about, a harvest in the future. He continues, though, in verse 35, saying, Behold, I say to you, now you say this, but I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. So what's going on here? Jesus is addressing the way they thought, and it's the same way we often think as his followers that prevents us from witnessing and inviting people to church. Jesus, using the forming analogy but talking about spiritual realities, says you're always telling yourself four months from now, down the road, in the future, not now. And when it comes to this subject of evangelism, many of us do the same thing. It's always not now. This is not the right time. This is not the right moment. This is, this, no, not now. 
It's down the road. It's in the future. It's four months out. Not now. We find all these, we, we, we have all this thinking and all this thinking that says now's not the time to invite someone to church. Now's not the time to witness to someone. Now's not the time to do evangelism. There's all this thinking about why it's down the road, down the road, down the road, down the road. And Jesus says we keep thinking like that and we keep telling ourselves that and it becomes easy for us then to make excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse for it never being the day when the harvest is ready. He said, I want you to lift up your eyes. Instead of thinking the way you've always been thinking, I say to you, now notice that contrast. You say, but I say. Jesus said, you're always saying, but I'm saying. And he's telling us that the way we think is not always right. Lift up your eyes and look. And you'll see that the field is, not will be, is white for harvest. Now, we live in South Carolina. You ever been in parts of the low state, mid state where they grow cotton? What does it look like in the fall? Like a field of snow. And Jesus said, it, st- Stop saying it will be. I say to you, it is. It is. Not will be. It is. White. The harvest. But because we're always telling ourselves the future, the future, the future, the future, later, 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 we never see what is right in front of us today. Lift up your eyes and look. You know what that means? We have to be intentional. It means making a choice to focus. It means having our heart and our mind right So when the disciples got back, all they could focus on, why is he talking to this woman? He said he was hungry. Here, Jesus, eat. Eat some food. Eat. Why? Eat. Why this woman? Eat. Why? Why? Eat. That's all they could see. That's all they could think about. But Jesus saw something different. He saw a white field. He saw a harvest. He saw a person in need, and he saw it right now. Research tells us that the people that you already have a relationship with, your friends, if you already have a relationship with them, 8 out of 10, 80% of them will come, will respond positively to an invitation you give them about church. If you already have a relationship with them, 8 out of 10 of them will respond positively. Now, some of you, you've got one person on your heart and that's good, but you've so focused on that one person, you're not seeing the dozens and dozens of other people in your life. Maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said the field is white to harvest. It doesn't agree with our tendency to keep putting it off, to always put it off. Notice in verse 36, he said, Already he 
who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering harvest. Notice this, is, is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal already, already. He's saying, disciples, you're not the only one in this game. You got back and all you could focus on was my physical hunger and why I'm talking to this woman. But you need to understand, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I have people who are already out there doing it whether you are or not. Because the one who's already in the field reaping, doing the work, he's already seen results. While you're always saying, wait, in the future, there are some who are seeing it happen right now. And notice he says they are gathering fruit to life eternal. Fruit is the the produce to eternal life. There are people who are responding, people who are coming to church, people who are being saved, people who are being changed. That's the fruit, those who are lost that are finding Christ, those who are unchurched that are finding the family of God. But the wages, the wages is different than the fruit. Wages are, that's your paycheck. Wages is what the worker gets paid. Who's the worker? The one gathering the harvest. Jesus said, while you're always talking about someday I will, those who are right now doing it, they are already seeing fruit. They're seeing results. They're seeing people saved. They're seeing people come to church. And not only that, they are being paid. They're receiving rewards. They're receiving their wages. They're getting that spiritual food that I have. They're already being blessed. You see, he's saying to us, you you need to get this, that that evangelism is not just about the lost coming to Christ and the unchurched coming to church. It's also about you being blessed by God and you having spiritual energy. And those who are doing it are already seeing both happen. And those who aren't are not seeing either happen. The way we think, the way we see things, approach it. It, it matters. And so he talks about sowing and reaping, the one who sows and the one who, who reaps. Sowing and reaping, two different activities that are related. You can't really separate them. In the farming analogy, you plant something, you sow, and then you reap the harvest later. In the spiritual world, it's the same thing. There's sowing and reaping. There's the planting the seeds. There's the seeds coming to fruition as people respond and people are saved. The thing is, I never know which I'm doing when I'm talking to another person, and neither do you, because none of us know the hearts of other people. We never know what's going to happen when we talk to someone. We're to, we're to do the work of a spiritual farmer. And sometimes we'll find ourselves sowing. Sometimes we'll find ourselves reaping. But if you talk... You'll do both. If you never talk to anybody, you'll never do either of them. When, um, when we were in Italy this summer, my wife, who's a lot more spiritual, if I can use that word, than I am, um, had a neat experience. We, we went to Pompeii and Mount Vesuvius, as many of you know, and we went to Rome, to Italy on our own, but we did hook up with a tour. We took a tour for that one day because Pompeii is about a little over two hours south of Rome. It's down uh, next, next to Naples. 
And um, so we were, we were this, this tour group, and on the bus to Pompeii, we weren't able to sit together. So I'm sitting with this guy, middle-aged. His family's on vacation in Italy, and I find out that he's a worship leader at a church in Australia. Monisa ends up sitting beside a young lady. I think she was in maybe 30 years old, early 30s, named Sarah. That's her in the photograph, by the way, walking away there on the right. Uh, that's one of the streets that have been excavated in Pompeii. And when Monisa and her were sitting together, Sarah was kind of, you know, guarded, quiet, wouldn't say a whole lot. But over a two-hour ride, you know, it's hard not to say anything. So they, they gradually started talking. We learned different things about her. And at lunch, Monisa and I asked her to, 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 to have lunch with us. And so she talked. Well, we just kept talking, talking. And uh, while we were touring Pompeii and Vesuvius, she hiked to the top with us. We, from time to time, would offer to use her camera since she was by herself uh, to take a photograph so she could have a photograph of herself with all the tour sites and so on. And Monisa learned a lot of things about Sarah that day. She, she's, she was a teacher, I believe it was at a private Catholic school in Florida, uh, single but really into this guy that she's dating, getting kind of serious. Um, she um, wasn't active in church, wasn't a believer, but, but her grandmother... Her grandmother was a Baptist. And when she was a little girl, she'd gone to church a few times. Learned about her boyfriend, where he worked, all kinds of stuff that she just opened up. But on the way back, so it's, it's, it's two plus hours from Pompeii back to Rome that evening on the bus, and Monisa's sitting with her. And my dedicated wife guides that conversation to spiritual issues. And she happens to have these cards. I mean, we printed up thousands of these a couple of years ago, these witnessing cards. You know, Steps to Eternal Life has the Romans Road the, that you can use to share the gospel on it, church website and other things on here. And, and so Monisa had these with her, and she, she pulled that out and asked as they talked if it would be all right for her to share these with her because it had changed her life. And uh, she was telling me that Sarah got a kick out of the fact these we're, we're traveling on the bus back to Rome, and all these verses are from Romans. So she thought that was kind of funny. Um, but she got to share with her the gospel and leave the card with her. Now that's sowing because Sarah did not accept Christ, but that is sowing. That is sowing. But you know what else that is? That's also being intentional. But Monisa and I both made a, th- made a point that when we went to Italy, we took a number of these cards with us. And almost any time you find me, I will have some of these cards in my pocket. Now, there are occasions I forget, but most of the time I'll have these cards with me. That's being intentional. That's what my wife was doing on that, that trip, being intentional about making certain we take these cards. And when you have the opportunity, you talk. You'll be a witness. Now, I've got to tell you more to it, and, and, and you, you'll relate to this, because that, that morning... When we got on the bus, my wife was not happy. Not because of anything I did wrong, not me. She, she was frustrated because we were not able to sit together. And so she had a choice to make to be frustrated the rest of the day or to see things the way Jesus wants us to see them and therefore be able to seize an opportunity because you came prepared because of how you think. See, your outlook Your approach, your attitude, how you think opens doors or prevents you from ever even seeing a door. 
That's why I said a lot of the things that have to change in us if we're going to become effective evangelists is we have to change our thinking. We have to change our misconceptions, how we approach things, how we view things. By the way, hundreds and hundreds of these cards are in the lobby this morning. So as we leave, uh, grab a handful, okay? Grab a handful. Uh, The verses on how to be saved are here, church website, location, and the times of our worship services. So grab you a handful of these and use them to talk with people. Now, a couple more things and I'll be done. In um, verse 36, at the end of it, go ahead and look. Let's put verse 36 up on the screen, verse 36. He said at the end of it, so that the one who sows and the one who reaps may do what together? Rejoice. I said earlier that, that doing what Jesus tells us to with regard to evangelism while it has benefits to the lost and to the unchurched because they gain eternal life when they respond in faith to Jesus, it benefits us. And we already saw that it benefits us by being spiritual food, giving us spiritual energy, spiritual vitality. But you know what else it gives us? Joy. Joy. I'm going to tell you something. Joy that lasts, you're more likely to experience that when you love people, you care about people, you serve people, you help people. That kind of joy lasts a whole lot longer than any joy you get because the music is pumping. Because that fades. And we've got good music, and I I thank God for that. But I'm going to tell you, ultimate joy doesn't come from music. It doesn't come just from Bible study. It comes from obeying Jesus and caring about people. That puts happiness in your life. When you care about the welfare of others, guess what? You're happier. But when your thinking is such that the only person you think about is you, you don't really know what joy is. Not lasting joy. Rejoice together. Learn to care about people. One more thing. When Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples who were only hung up on him eating and why is he talking to this woman? When he was when he was teaching them, where was the woman? She'd gone into the village. And she started telling everybody about this Jesus she met and how he knew her and how he changed her life. Look at verse 39 as I close. Look at verse 39. From that city, the village where the Samaritan woman lived, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman. Not only was her life changed, but the lives of countless people in her village were changed. All because Jesus had one conversation with one woman. You ever thrown a rock into a pond or a puddle or a lake and watched the ripples? You never know the ripple effect of just one conversation, of just one act of kindness, of just one invitation to church, of one word of testimony or word of witness. But there will never, ever be a ripple 
you don't talk. You got to throw the rock in the pond. I started by saying 90% of the people who join a church came to the church they joined the first time because someone invited them. If the future growth of this church depended on you inviting people, what would our future look like? If nine out of ten people who join a church come because somebody invited them and our whole future was dependent on you, what kind of future would we have? You know how you get a lot happening? Is if each and every one of us are creating ripples. There's not a one of us in this room who can create enough ripples to fulfill what this church is supposed to do. Every one of us has to be throwing our stones in the water. We all need to be creating the ripple. You can create a ripple. You, you say, I can't do what so-and-so does. Okay, that's all right. What can you do? What are you doing? How often are you doing it? What will you do? You going to throw some stones in the pond? You going to create some ripples? Jesus says, stop thinking later and start seeing the people in your lives right now who are open, who need your love, who need your support, who need to hear from you. Because they're there. They're there. Lift up your eyes and look. Lift up your eyes and look. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for creating the biggest ripple of eternity by throwing yourself into this world, into our world. And Father, I thank you for the fact that those ripples reached me years ago and have reached others that are in this room. But I pray, Father, we would be your instrument, your servant, to keep the ripple going and touch others. Help us overcome our anxieties and fears. Help us to change the thinking that's wrong to clear up misconceptions. And Father, help us respond faithfully and obedient to your love and to your touch on our lives. For those who need to make their way to the altar right now, Jesus, I pray you would embolden them. Embolden them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We invite you to come to the front to kneel and pray, sit in one of these chairs and pray to join this church, talk with the pastor, talk with the counselor, whatever your need. You come right now as we sing together. Come on.